from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Welcome. Welcome. It's great to have you here. Welcome to the Badass Counseling Show Lightning Round. You have found me in front of a microphone. I am Sven Erlinson, your host. I am joined in studio by my woman in the booth, KC, always silent but ever deadly. And next to me, the most entertaining young fella. Rob, how are you this evening? You're a poor judge of character, I'm afraid, if that's what you think. Well, that's okay, though. That's all right. I'll I've, take it. <laughs> I like you. Who doesn't? And we want to welcome all of our guests from Ravelos. Italy. I was going to say Spain, but no, Ravello, Italy to Colorado Springs from Nairobi, Kenya, all the way over to New Zealand. It's just great to have everyone here, people up in the great white north and over in the UK. And it is really super to have you tuning in. I'm just taking questions. So let's dive right in, Rob. Are you ready? All set. Let's do it. All right. All right. We're going to start with this one. Natalie asks, how do I get my boyfriend to acknowledge my feelings? Well, Natalie, that's a very simple thing. You put it out there and either he acknowledges them or he doesn't. Now I'm betting you've already tried that, right? Obviously. And you've likely gotten some derivative of deflecting, denying, dodging. He's not interested. And no doubt also you put pressure on him. When, you, when your feelings got hurt, I have no doubt. You wouldn't be asking this on a live forum unless you had put it out there before and you've put on pressure or gotten very sad or gotten very angry. And unfortunately, you're at the point, if you're asking it at this level or putting it out there in public, it's been going on for quite some time. And so what you are confronted with right now is the question of, oh shit, can I live with this? Because the truth is, you've probably also brought up the idea of counseling. And if you haven't, do that. And then you're going to see even more fully in all likelihood that he's not interested in doing it. And what a depressing, sad fucking day that's going to fucking be when you realize that he has no interest in meeting your needs in the relationship. Because that's exactly what's going on here. He doesn't want to open up and acknowledge your feelings. Uh, and therefore, it's all about him. And I have a feeling that I have a whole lot of folks listening to right now who could say, oh, yeah, I was in a relationship like that. And my feelings weren't acknowledged. And it's tremendously frustrating. And all you can do is keep doing it and doing it and doing it, putting it out there as clear and as plainly as possible, conveying how important it is to you, and then realizing at some point, is it worth it? Do I want to stay in a relationship with someone who doesn't acknowledge my feelings? And the question I would ask you is actually this, how long have you noticed this pattern? Is it one year? Is it six months? Is it four years? Is it 10 years? And then the question to you becomes, how long do I have to witness a pattern before I actually do something about it? As in, you may have to walk away. And you call it a boyfriend and not a husband, okay? So that's good. Um, so you guys haven't made the commitments and so forth, but it sucks to know that you've got someone who, in all honesty, doesn't give a shit about your feelings. And yeah, you're gonna be confronted with a come to Jesus moment if you're not at it already, where you realize that either I have to be okay with him never acknowledging my feelings, right? Because that's the pattern you have, or I have to do something about it and actually walk away. But if someone doesn't want to do it, if you're putting it out there and they still don't want to, and then you recommend bringing in counseling and they say, no, fuck, not interested, you're fucked. In all honesty, you're fucked. Because if he doesn't want to open up, he won't open up. All right, next question. All right. You guys, you got to hear this one. Uh, Holly, I'm going to read your question. And okay. 
how do you deal with a guy that's in an emotional and sexual relationship with his mother? Yeah, I'm betting that hit you guys just as hard as it hit me. How do you deal with a guy now that's in an emotional and sexual relationship with his mother? I got to believe that when you say deal with a guy, you don't mean, you know, he's a, a buddy of yours from you guys went to, you know, elementary school together. I'm betting you're saying, I assume you're saying that you're dating a guy who's in an emotional and sexual relationship with his mother. Um, how do you deal with it? You get the fuck as far away as fucking possible. That's what you do. Honestly, there is so much shit going on there in an emo emotional uh, affair, emotional relationship with his mother. That's one thing. And that in and of itself can be extremely entangling. And you may forever play third fiddle, but in a sexual affair with his own mother, First of all, if he's an adult, well, you wouldn't be dating. This wouldn't be if he were a minor. I was going to say if he's a minor, report it, obviously. Um, but if he's an adult, no, just get away. How you deal with it is get the fuck as far away as possible. That is more psychological soul trauma than you need to deal with. And the mere fact that you're adults and he's still in it or it just started or whatever, you don't want to go down that road. Swear to God, do yourself a favor. No, no, no. Get out, get out, get out. That's all I can say. It really is that simple. That was really something. I feel like I've had some trauma listening to that. <laughs> wow. Wow. I feel bad for her, you know, because it sounds like she really likes the guy, but it's like, it's not, he's not a guy. He's not a, he's not fully there. He's caught in some serious trauma from childhood. And, and the, I mean, the stuff that that'll do. Um, chronically, Lindsay asks, why is that even a question? Gotta agree, but you know, Whatever. I'm no judgment, but it's just like save yourself and, and get out. Okay. What do I do if I can't show love because I'm mad about finances not being shared equally? Ooh, that's a tough one. All right. So Aaron's pissed that finances are not being shared equally. So I take that to mean, Aaron, that you're bringing in more and putting out less or, or spending less. Um, and bills are not being covered equally is how I'm interpreting that. Does that sound about right to you, Rob? That sounds familiar, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, and so you ask, what do I do if I can't show love because I'm mad? Well, what you do when you're mad is you talk that shit out and talk it out. Now, when we're mad, what do we do? We yell, we get mad, we pout, we growl. That's what mad is. Mad is a highly charged emotion and few things will shut down a conversation more than highly charged emotions, which is why, you know what I'm gonna say, people, before you have the conversation, which I'm betting is not the first time you're gonna have this conversation, you need to sit the fuck down with some pen, with some paper, with a good old pen or pencil, or even sit at your computer and start writing the letter to your girlfriend, a letter to your spouse. Start writing, and this is a letter you're not gonna send, and you flush out all of that rage and you use every word in the book, you rage, make the letter as violent, angry, sad, frustrated as you want it to be, and do not send it. Do not hit the send button. Do not put a stamp on it, okay? The purpose of the letter is not to give to the other person, though at times that may feel good, that is gonna solve jack shit, all right? Giving the emotion letter to your partner is not a good idea, or to your parent or to your boss, not a good idea. Why? It just leads to more troubles. You're going to be embarrassed about it later, et cetera, et cetera. All right. The purpose of the letter is to discharge all of that emotion. 
Why? Because then when you walk into the conversation with your boss, with your parent, with your, in this case, spouse or partner, that you're mad about these finances, then you're walking in less mad. Right? You don't need mad to convey your point. You know, you're being upset about it will still be there, but it will be less highly charged. Have you ever had a situation where somebody pissed you off and right in that moment, you just want to, you just want to unleash venom on them because you're so hurt right in the moment. You're so pissed right in the moment, right? But then if you get out of that situation, let's just say, and you know, you tell your buddy about it that night and maybe the next morning you're telling your girlfriend about it and then you go to work and you happen to mention it to a couple of the guys at work. Then by the next day, because you flushed it out, you've talked it out, it's not as highly charged. You may be still charged, but it's not nearly as highly charged as it was in the moment. Oh, so in other words, talking shit out, getting shit out of me has the power to decharge things, to decharge the emotions attached to experiences. Yes. All right, so you're mad about your finances and as a result, uh, you can't show love to your spouse. Yeah, your anger is so much in the way. So you need to get that anger out. The goal isn't necessarily to be able to show love to your spouse. You're not gonna get the anger out so that you can show love to the spouse. You're getting the anger out so you can have the fucking conversation calmly or as calmly as you possibly can. I had a conversation just this morning with my girlfriend. Uh, I had been writing at Starbucks all morning because I'm working on my next book. And sometimes I go to Starbucks because I like the energy and whatever. And it was early in the morning. And uh, she texted me when she woke up and I said, hey, stop on by, you know, say hello. I'll, you know, get you a coffee or egg bites or whatever you like. And yeah, me, Mr. Big Spender, I'll get you some egg bites. Anyway, uh, so she comes by and we're having a little bit of a, a row over, you know, something we had discussed last night. And I'm like, let's just not talk about it here. I don't want to argue in public. And she says, I think it's better actually if we argue here because then we won't let ourselves get out of control because we'd embarrass ourselves. And I thought for a second and I thought, that's actually a pretty good idea. Now, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to pull that off, but I'm a 55-year-old man now. So I'm a little slow and, and I just, I don't know, I've gotten so much of the emotional charges of life out of me. So I'm not as easily triggered. So if it helps to be in a park or be out in public while you, if that will help keep you calm, that's important. If it will help keep your calm, partner calm, that's important because then you can talk and you can hear each other. Your original question was, what do I do if I can't show love because I'm mad about finances not being shared equally? The only solution is to talk this shit out. You have to talk this shit out and call as calmly as possible. That is so critical. And what you are saying you need, if I'm hearing you correctly, is I need to feel heard and there needs to be a change. Or if I'm gonna carry the lion's share of the bills and so forth, I need to know that you really appreciate it. And I need to be treated, you know, kindly and you know, with respect. If someone's, you know, hoisting more of the load, that's I mean, that's a reasonable expectation or want. But the only goal, it's the goal isn't even, like I said, to be able to show love again. Yes, obviously the long term that is a goal, but the the roadblock in the middle is you guys gotta talk this shit up. You gotta be honest, you gotta be calm, and you gotta just speak your truth. And know that your feelings, your wants, your needs fucking matter. All right, next question. All righty. Oh, God. This one is not as bad as my boyfriend is having sex with his mother, but... That's that's a low bar. Yeah, I and, and I am in no way disparaging the person who asked that question. It's just so, wow, wow. Oh, I hope she gets out for her own sanity because that's one of those where five years from now, 10 years from now, you're so gonna wish you had. All right, here we go. But this is a good one. This is a good, strong question that is not good. And I've seen this so many times with people. 
my spouse seemed to enjoy embarrassing me in front of people. Now you use past tense on seemed, not seems. Am I to take that to mean you're out of the relationship? I'm going to play it as if you're in it, all right? My spouse seems to enjoy embarrassing me in front of people. That is so unbelievably wrong. It's so disrespectful and so unkind, rude. And it's basically the other person saying, fuck you, right to your face. Just, yeah, fuck off. I'm going to embarrass you in front of the people, other people. I'm going to hurt your feelings. That's bullying. And to, when it comes from the person who claims to love you the most in the world, and when it comes from the person you love the most in the world, I mean, you know, other than your own children, you know, to enjoy embarrassing me in front of people. I, I mean, that's one of those. That's, that is a, a non-negotiable right there. You don't put up with that shit. Neither we're in fucking counseling or I'm the fuck out of here because that's just humiliating. And the worst part about it, not the worst, but the thing is when someone does that to another person, but especially when they do it to a lover or a spouse or a dear friend, when they embarrass you deliberately in public is everyone else around is cringing. If it, let's just say it's your husband and your wife and your husband is doing that in front of people or your boyfriend is doing that in people and it can go the other way. I've seen plenty of women do it to their spouses as well, but everyone around is thinking, geez, man, that's how you treat your wife? What kind of fucking piece of shit are you? And you think it's funny? Dude, that's just like douchebagville. You're a douche. And I mean, because who does that? Make someone else embarrasses them or makes them feel bad in public, but especially the person you claim to love? That's just like the very zenith of a small man. That is just total douche. All right, next question. And then someone asked, well, what if it's your adult children? Uh, I assume you're piggybacking off the question I was just answering. What if it's your adult children that are embarrassing you in public? You shut that shit down. You have to shut that shit down. And if you don't, then you've got a real problem and you may need to separate yourself from them because you're by not shutting it down, that's what we call a boundary right there where someone's embarrassing you in public. If I don't have the boundary of shutting it down or I then have to distance myself from that person, but I'm not enforcing my boundaries and I'm not trying to be rude when I say, if your adult children are do it, either there has been, either they have a tremendous amount of pain in them that that is not being directed in the directions it's supposed to be. And so they dump it on you because you're an easy target, which often happens. You know, we hurt the people who don't fight back. Either it's that or they've been conditioned to believe that this is tolerable behavior at a younger age, which in, in and of itself would often be an indicator of then a parent who allows it to happen. I'm not saying you, it could be the other parent. Potentially, if there isn't some trauma that you've committed against them, okay, then what has likely happened is potentially, and this may not be the case in your case, there could be some other option. But when I see this often where adult children are being mean to their parents, if the parent has not done something to earn it, okay? And there is that possibility. If it's just this kid has a lot of rage or anger or pain inside of them, they've never been taught that it's not okay to treat people like this. And that's on the parent. And very often if a parent, if a parent isn't teaching their child at a young age that it's not okay to act like this, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes a parent is afraid of the child not liking them. The parent is afraid of not getting their own needs met, love needs met from the child, which of course is an inversion of the equation, isn't it? That the parent exists to give love to the child and not be dependent upon or not be afraid of the parent, of the child not liking them. Uh, but that has to be a hard and fast boundary, that that is not not okay. All right, here we go. My ex-narc, when I met, acted like a real manly man, was a big boss at a gas company, but behind closed doors, he acted like a toddler. 
Is that normal with toxic traits? Well, it's normal with someone who, yeah, has a lot of their pain, a lot of pain going on inside of them. And this isn't just a, a, a gender thing. This is not just a man thing. I know I've actually done videos on this where one, uh, where a person is one thing at work and then something completely different at home, where they're meek and subservient at home, but they're a tiger and they get shit done at work. Or sometimes there's an inversion of the equation that once you put someone out in public, they become weaker, they become milder, but at home they're crazy, they're an animal. Or they look presentable out in public. I have so many clients over the decades um, where one or both of the parents were the supportive, loving, encouraging parent when other parents were around or when they were out in public. But man, once the door closed, when they got home, they were animals. They were animals to their own children. And so you're asking the question, my ex-narcissist, and you guys know I substitute extreme taker for narcissist, my ex-narcissist, when I met him, acted like a real manly man, was a big boss at a gas company, and presumably you liked that because you stayed with it. Um, and just for the record, folks, if someone's acting like a manly man and a tough guy and all that stuff, um, it's a facade. It's usually they're making up for something. And as we see in this case, it's a facade because in private, um, behind closed doors, he acts like a toddler a child, insecure potentially. So if you're seeing an extreme version of any personality trait, it's compensation more often than not, not always, but more often than not for the opposite personality trait. So yes, this is toxic behavior. And yes, there is pain inside of that person that needs to come out of them if they even have any interest in doing it. Otherwise, you're forever gonna be living with someone who uh, has this sort of dichotomy of a personality. And that is a hell of a fucking roller coaster, be, roller coaster ride to be on. All right, and not a pleasant one, by the way. All right, next question. Oh, gosh, this is at the root of so much life pain of so many people. Here it is, succinctly stated in about, oh, 12 words. How do you get your emotionally immature parents to do better? <laughs> I can honestly tell you that 90% of my clients, if not more, all of their issues, and I deal with people who are CEOs of companies, I my Business has been down in uh, Manhattan, New York City, and I have clients off Wall Street and hedge funds and so rich people, top of academia, and I did two and a half years living on the street with the homeless, sleeping on concrete every night. Top of society, bottom of society, plenty of middle-class folks for three decades. And I can tell you that this is the affliction that is at the root of so many of all the other afflictions, and that is an emotionally immature parent. And it doesn't start in adulthood. You think they had some fucking cataclysmic personality change between your childhood and now? No, this has been there the whole time. In all likelihood, with rarest of exceptions, they've been immature the whole time. And it's been all about them. It's just that when you're a kid, you don't sniff that shit out until you start sniffing it out. And then you realize you have no power to get them to change. And they have no interest in changing. They got all the fucking power. Why would I change? I'm gonna use you, kid, to pour love into my love cup. And then they keep doing it in adulthood. And then maybe they even use your own kids to give them attention. Oh, come give grandma a hug. Come on, big guy, come talk to grandpa. Aren't I a great grandpa? You know, shit like that, it, it doesn't stop. How do you get them to change? Honestly, good luck. Can they change? Yeah, but people don't change crappy behaviors without pain. And very often the pain that causes people to realize their own uh, flaws is the pain of being left, the pain of being alone, the pain of losing someone they love. But if this has been going on long enough with a parent, the odds, the older they get, the odds of you changing their behavior to becoming emotionally responsible towards you and towards others, 
uh, diminishes as the aging continues. Furthermore, if you have siblings and you think you're gonna stand up to a parent who has been emotionally immature and maybe they've been the primary power source in the family for a very long time, if you don't have, and, and the whole family is bought into, oh, mom's wonderful, or oh, dad's the best, he's, you know, dad has all the power and we all just do what he say. It says, if you break from that family myth, the primary power source, be it the dad or be it the mom, the primary power source is then going to sick your siblings onto you. Why? Because your siblings don't want to break from the family myth because they're watching all the shit you're eating when you do it. The price of eating shit from the primary power source is so great that you may be walking out there into the desert by yourself. And you got to be okay with that. You need to assume that you're not going to get the support of your siblings or uh, the other parent, right? If you choose to stand up to the parent. But an emotionally immature parent, a parent who is not meeting the needs of the adult children, uh, is highly unlikely you are going to change that person. Much more to come right after this short break. You've heard Sven talk a lot about his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And that's because Sven hears from his followers a lot about how much the book has helped them. If you're not sure how to handle the issues getting in the way of a better life, you're not alone. And you have a lot of choices. But thousands of readers will tell you that this is a great place to start, by yourself and at your own pace. So go to badasscounseling.com and order There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and you'll have Sven right there with you as you forge your best future. It's totally badass. So get started today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. All right, and we are back with the lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. I am taking questions live And we've had some really fascinating questions today, and I got to say, I like it. All right. This is a a very good question, and I'm partly going to say that I am not qualified to answer it, and I'm partly going to answer it because you fucking asked me, all right? Are people born with personality disorders? My mom is a narcissist, and I worry I will have her traits in me. Now, I'm going to tell you, as I try to do every show, every couple of shows, I am not a psychologist. I am not a member of the medical community. I was formerly a... Uh, emergency room chaplain at a level one trauma center, but I am not a medical person at all. I'm a soul counselor. I'm a former clergyman and I've had a soul counseling practice for 30 years. I've also been an executive uh, performance coach. And um, so I deal with soul shit. I stay out of the lane of psychology and hopefully they are staying out of the lane of soul counseling. But in the end, I don't give a shit if they are or if they aren't, but I don't want to touch their shit. So to say, are people born with, I don't know the science behind that. And it would be speculative and sound incredibly fucking stupid if I were to sound authoritative. So I'm going to tell you what I do know. I do know that if you take all of the childhood pain out of someone, Take it out. All of the pain, all of the fears, and all the bullshit messages they were taught about themselves, if you take that out of any person, they become a radically different person. That I know. Why? Because that's the one motherfucking thing on God's green earth that I am actually good at. I suck at computers. No good with cars. I can change my liquids, but uh, I suck at golf. I'm pretty good at some sports, but mediocre at most of them. I really don't have any profound gifts in life, except the ability to heal people. That's what I do, using deep questions. And one thing I know is when you take the pain, the fears out of, out of people, and especially the bullshit beliefs they were taught about themselves, they become a deeply different person. And that any malady that you have, 
uh, emotional or, or what have you, it will be grossly exacerbated, made much, much worse if you have immense pain and sadness and uh, BS beliefs inside of you. That I know. You get that shit out and you're a different person. So when you, you're asking the question, you worry that you may have your mom's narcissistic traits in you. Um, I'll be very honest with you. You may have parts of your personality that are compensating for mom's <laughs> narcissistic or extreme taking traits. That I would bet on, but those are those can be extracted and it doesn't have to take forever. This is why I wrote my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. This is why I do this fucking free podcast and make all these free videos so that you guys have tools to begin your fucking journaling and letter writing and you can heal on your own. Do I recommend therapy? Sure, but I also recommend doing it on your own. If you're driven, you can heal yourself and it doesn't have to take forever. But any traits you may have in you as a result of mom's personality disorder, I, you can root all of that out and you can have a normal fucking life. But it just takes commitment to going down deep inside. And again, that's what I wrote the book for, The Badass Counseling Show. There's a hole in my love cup. I did not write a book named The Badass Counseling Show. Flipsy flopsy, mipsy mopsy, there we go. All right, next. What should I do when my partner calls me, quote, insecure, unquote, for getting mad that he's talking to other girls? What should you do? <laughs> my first response, tell him to fuck off. Jeez, man, you're insecure for him talking to other girls. Now, Part of this is age-related. Part of this is maturity-related to the couples or just how many times you've been around the block. You know, I've been married twice. My girlfriend, she's had some serious relationships in her adult life. You know, we're both in our 50s. I, I, for me personally, I like it when she talks to guys. You want to know why? Because what's that old saying? I don't care where you get your appetite as long as you come home for dinner, right? And Or to use the other one from the car salespeople, she would say, I'm not, I'm just kicking the tires. I'm not buying, you know? And I know my girlfriend is loyal to me and I trust that. And I believe that. Let me tell you this story. It's a snippet, not even a story. It's just a little snippet. So I was on uh, social media. This was, I don't know, three, four years ago, whatever. And somebody made the comment. It was one of these where they put up a comment and then underneath it, it says, said no guy ever, or said no person ever. You know, one of those things, all right? And the comment was, Hey, good looking, you're looking hot today. And underneath it said, said no woman ever. And I commented, actually, my girlfriend says she likes that. Now, my girlfriend has had a uh, company in Manhattan off for basically the last 30 years, 35 years, whatever, right? So as you might imagine, uh, growing up Bronx Italian and having a business in, in Manhattan, you know, being a beautiful woman and smart and all that, she's used to guys whistling at her or whatever. And she always says, Sven, I'm in my 50s. I am a woman in my 50s. For me to walk by a construction site and have young guys or men in their 30s whistle at me or say, hey, you're looking great today, as long as they're not being crude, how would I not like that? She says, that's such a boost to my ego. I love that. All right, and this is an extraordinarily competent woman, president of a company for many, many, many years. And so from my perspective, my girlfriend talking to someone, talking to other men, I'm fine. Is she the same with me? Yeah, for the most part. Um, as long as I'm not rude about it or, or you know, make her feel uncomfortable. And, I, and that's sort of what's going on here. Now, you don't give your age here, um, but you ask, when should I, what should I do when my partner calls me insecure for getting mad that he's talking to other girls. As I told you, my first response was, well, that's not really cool on his part. The truth is we all have insecurities. Even I do, and even my girlfriend does with each other. We at times have insecurities, and that's normal, and that's okay. But to belittle someone else by calling them insecure for having their feelings, that is not conducive to a healthy relationship. 
in a loving relationship, your partner says, talk to me, sweetheart, what's going on inside you? And you know what? Honestly, honey, I can understand why that would make you feel insecure. And the last thing I want is for you to feel insecure. Yeah, of course I'll curb it. You know, how far back do you want me to curb it all? Do you want me to, or do you want me to never talk to another female on earth? Or do you just not want me to talk to other women in front of you? What do you want? And, but in a loving relationship, you give a shit about your other person's feelings. We had someone ask earlier on the show today, you know, what, what do I do about my husband? He never wants, acknowledges my feelings. And I don't know what the setup is here is in terms of, you know, male, female in this particular question, what should I do when my partner calls me insecure for getting mad that he, he's talking to other gals? Okay, so you're clearly a woman and he's talking to other women. Yeah, I mean, whether it's come from a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. It's not cool to belittle another person's feelings, especially when it's someone you claim to love. You have to stand up against it and say, that's not okay. You have to insist that he see the significance of your feelings and keep doing it and keep doing it until you realize he has no interest in not only changing the behavior, but honoring your feelings. And that, as I said earlier in the show with the previous question, it's a brutal place to be when you realize your partner doesn't give a shit about your feelings because you're faced with that come to Jesus moment of, do I want to stay in a relationship with someone who knowingly, willfully hurts me? You, when you come to that moment, either you can say, he's not going to change. I've asked him countless times. Hell, you've probably already asked him before asking this question of me today. You've asked him countless times to not be always talking to other women because it makes me feel insecure. He's not doing anything. So you've got a few choices. One, stay in the relationship knowing he's not going to change. Two, get out of the relationship. And three, the other piece, regardless of what you do, is you got to look at your own stuff. And you got to ask yourself now. And I'm not blaming you for him talking to other women. I'm not at all. But anytime I have any insecurity or anytime I have any anger or sadness or fear or frustration, I have to go inside of me and find out where is that coming from? That's an opportunity to heal. Anytime, people, anytime you have any emotion, there's a charge. That's a charge. And you have a chance to bring greater peace and calm and uh, unleash your authentic self more when you go into that charge, find out where the hell it's coming from, what's going on inside of me, and then decharging that. So if you've got strong emotion over your partner, uh, talking to other gals, to use your word, you have an opportunity to go inside and find out where the hell this is coming, coming from and begin to flush and flush and flush all of that pain and all those fears out of you. Not to mention whatever beliefs about yourself that's being conveyed. Because it could very well be that when he does that, you feel less than, you feel not enough, you feel insig insignificant, you feel unloved. All right, you need to go into those feelings. You need to be flushing those out in your journaling and in your letter writing of those letters you don't send. All of that is an opportunity to heal you more such that whether you stay in this relationship or move on to another one or take 10 years to be alone, that you're happier because there are not things inside of you that are being triggered. Because clearly his engaging in this action triggers you, which means something inside of you is being triggered. And the long-term solution to not being triggered is to get the shit out of you that's being triggered. Next question. I told my ex-wife I didn't feel loved by her and her family. And she ghosted me. I guess she has no interest in giving two shits about your feelings. And she'd probably say, hey, you're my ex. Why the fuck should I care about you? Um, but yeah, that's brutal. I told my ex-wife I didn't feel loved by her and her family and she ghosted me. Well, I guess there's a reason you guys are exes. And I guess count it as a favor that you are because um, you were with a group of people that it didn't want to show you love. And it's brutal to think about that. It's sad to think about that. Um, you are wanting from people, love from people who weren't giving you love. And that really is, seems to be the theme tonight. So many people in relationships, now it's with a family and, you know, not just with your ex, but with her family. And they don't want to give you love. And 
people, the sooner you catch this in any relationship, especially in dating relationships, especially in friendships, the sooner you catch that this person or these people are not giving me love in a way that feels loving to me, the sooner you catch that shit, the sooner you can get out. Because the further you go down that, that motherfucking path, the more pain you got coming. So you have to nip it in the, in the bud. If someone's not giving you love in a way that feels loving to you, why would you continue to allow it? And you think, well, it's no big deal. It's, yes, it is a big deal, people. Small things become big things, right? Everybody loves little kittens, but then they become cats, all right? And I like cats, but not as much as I love kittens. Or little puppies, though, you know, you got to paper train them and teach them not to go yip, 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 yip all the time. They're really cute, right? And then they become big dogs. And I have big dogs. I have three dogs. One's big, one's little, but they're old dogs. And they're not as cute as they were when they're puppies. They're still cute. They're still good looking. They still, boy, are you a sexy little doggy. Um, no, I didn't mean that. I was kidding. But the point is, little things become big things. Little puppies become big puppies. Little people become big people. Little problems become big problems. If you aren't nipping that shit in the bud early in the relationship, if you are saying, oh, it's no big deal, or you're saying, well, I don't see a problem. Yeah, that's because your own previous conditioning actually taught you that this stuff that doesn't feel right in your body is normal. Okay, that's not good either. You got inner work to do there. But if you're not calling out and holding the other person accountable for how you're being treated, you're just, you're, you are creating a shit show. You are creating, you are actively creating because it's small and you can nip it in the bud, but you're not nipping it in the bud. And if you're not nipping it in the bud, that means you got shit going on inside of you that you need to heal. Because in order to notice it in someone else and call it out in someone else, you have to identify your feelings. You have to know what's going on inside of you. And you have to believe that your feelings matter. That means you have to have the courage to put it out there. So that means you got self-work to do if you aren't calling out that small stuff. Again, if you're not calling out the small stuff, it's on you in part because small stuff becomes big stuff. Repeat after me, people. Small stuff becomes big stuff. Small problems become big problems. All right. Well, to which Pollyanna asks, why do we put up with things we don't like? Well, oh, let me count the ways. We put up with things we don't like because we fear losing someone. We put up with things we don't like because we've been conditioned that my voice doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I don't like it. This is just love. I got somebody who kind of likes me. So if if they're being mean to me or they don't apologize or they don't acknowledge my feelings or maybe they push me around a little bit or maybe they take advantage of my finances or as we heard in a question earlier today, maybe they're happy to, to have a financial imbalance in the relationship. And why do we put up with stuff like that? Again, we're afraid of being alone, afraid of standing up for our feelings or maybe we've been taught that being treated that way is normal. See, this is why parenting is so important. The messages that you are treating teaching your children. And I don't mean just with your fucking pie hole. I mean all the messages you're teaching when your mouth is closed. All the stuff they're learning by watching you, your distribution of energy, your distribution of attention, of time. And all the ancillary messages that aren't teaching moments, they're listening to those too, right? My mom, when I was young, I had the best mom ever. I did. She died at 93. I had the best dad, you know, and they both had their flaws and they'd be the first ones to admit them, but I had wonderful parents. But I remember my mom used to say, you know, when she'd wake up in the morning, you know, it was always, good morning, Sven. Um, how'd you sleep? And so on and so forth. And I would hear her talking later in the day. I don't know if it was to me or to someone, whatever. She had woken up in the middle of the night and she had this thing of waking up in the middle of the night. And that seed got planted. Guess what I do? I'm 55 years old. Guess what I do? I wake up in the middle of the night. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of physiological reasons and exercise and alcohol or caffeine, all those things, right? But 
it also got put in my head that that's normal. Well, that's a minor little thing. Well, unless you have, you have trouble sleeping, then it's a very big thing. But the point is, think of the messages that children get about love that they hear you talking about or your self-talk or your cross-talk with your partner or with your best friend. Children pick that up. And so if you are conditioned uh, in your own life, in your marriage, in your friendships, and you're eating shit and you're putting up with things you don't like, guess what you're teaching your kids? Oh, to put up with things they don't like, right? And there's always some of that, right? My mom used to say, you know, Sven, there are a lot of things in life you don't want to do, but you just got to do. And that line was almost invariably set in my direction when it was my night to do dishes for our family of eight. <laughs> and I'm whining and being a little shit or whatever. And she's like, Sven, a lot of things in life we don't want to do, but we just got to do. Well, you can't argue with that logic. Plus, she was just so nice. It's like, okay. Plus, I knew that my brothers would fucking go off on me or some shit if I didn't. So I did the dishes. We put up with things we don't like because it's been normalized or because we believe our own voice doesn't matter. We put up with things we don't like because we're terrified to speak up. We put up with things we don't like for a long time because maybe we're not even aware that we don't like it. It doesn't feel good. But if you've never been taught to put words to your feelings, you're not going to be able to articulate that this doesn't feel good. Furthermore, it takes courage to stop putting up with things you don't like. So there are a number of reasons we don't put up with things we don't like. All right, next question. Well, this is actually kind of interesting. I like this one. We've not been asked it, but there are so many other questions that relate to it. How do I heal without closure? Um, that's a great question. And very often we ask that question when it comes to love relationships, maybe the person just leaves. Maybe they ghosted you. We had someone earlier talk about, you know, the, his ex's family ghosting him and the ex ghosting him. Um, but the closure, we, we hear that word so often. What does that even mean? And very often it means I get to say everything I want to say. I get all my questions answered. You get to say everything you want to say, and you get all your questions answered. And there's so many relationships that don't end that way. Think about the closure, closure you never got before your parent died, right? You wanted to be able to speak your piece. You wanted them just once in their lives to say, I'm proud of you or to acknowledge your fucking feelings. Sven, how the hell do you heal? I can't heal, Sven. My parents are dead. And that's predicated on the notion that you need something from someone else in order to heal. And I am here to tell you, you need nothing, honey. You don't need nothing. Well, that's a double negative. You don't need anything in order to heal. You don't need anything from another person in order to heal. In fact, if you are waiting for something from another person or hoping or wishing or begging, ooh, to get something from another person, you are in fact obstructing your healing process. Why? First of all, you're giving them power over you, <laughs> the power to withhold it, the power to not give a shit. And if there's been wounding in the relationships, they may just withhold the, what you want as a way to fuck with you. You know, a parent that you're waiting to have closure with, you know, and get that love that you've been waiting for, that normal parent-child relationship you wanted your whole life. And why would they do that? If they haven't been benevolent and given a shit about your feelings your entire life, why would they want to start now? They get all their needs met, right? Deep down, it's fucking selfish. It's just non-parenting, right? But you're asking, well, what do you do? You heal. And how do you heal? You got to go through the process of, you guys have heard me, let's all sing it, all right? You got to have to flush out all the pain, all the fears, and all the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. Well, how do you do that? The short answer is pen and paper, all right? But there are other tools that I teach my clients. I put all of those in my book. There's a hole in my love cup. And you can get it at badasscounseling.com. And I literally, well, not literally. I, well, I'm gonna use literally and I'm gonna tell you why, but I literally walk your hand through the, hold your hand and walk you through the process of healing, whether you have closure from the other person or not. And the reason I say literally 
is because about six, seven years ago, Oxford Dictionary changed the meaning of the word literally to not just mean literally as in factually happening, but literally as in metaphorically. So now the word literally means both its original meaning and basically the opposite. So when I was using it there, I meant, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, you, you have to flush out all your pain, your fears, and your bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. That's where that closure comes from. You don't need anyone else in order to get closure, in order to heal. You may want that, but you don't need it in order to heal. All right, we're gonna end on a cheating question, people. Cheating questions. I haven't had any cheating questions. Well, I haven't done any posts recently on cheating. And as you know, I wrote a two-volume book on cheating and a lot of personal experience. I, was, I cheated, I was cheated on by two women in long-term relationships and I was the co-cheater for mm, a lot uh, with people cheating on their spouses. Not proud of it, but I learned a lot as an insider. Shit, they, they can't know in a fucking book. So here's the cheating question. Seven years post-infidelity. All right, seven years post-infidelity. As of the moment, we don't know who was the infidel. All right, seven years post-infidelity. My husband is doing all the right things but can't forget about, about it. What can I do? Okay, so Patty is admitting she cheated. All right, I respect that in anyone because so many people don't. Patty says, I, we're, we, my husband and I are seven years past my infidelity. My husband is doing all the right things, but he can't forget about it. What can I do? Well, my question would be, hey, this is going to sound silly or trivializing, but it's not. Do you remember uh, that time when you were in college and maybe it was your first day or that time you were in the test and you know somebody cheated off your paper and you got yelled at? Or do you remember that thing that happened to you 15 years ago, oh yeah, you still remember it. Whether there's emotional charge attached to it or not, you still remember it. Okay, so you're asking, my husband can't forget that I cheated. Well, why would he forget? We have memories, you know? Our DNA gave us memories. He has a memory, he remembers it. So why would, I'm not understanding why that would be an issue. And the reason it's an issue is because you're not really saying, but he can't forget it course he can't forget it. It was probably one of the most traumatic events of his entire fucking life. But you're not saying forget as in remember or forget. You're saying he can't forget it as in it keeps coming up or he can't get past it. There's some sort of emotional blockage. I mean, you can't expect him to forget it. You know that I still remember going to Europe for my first honeymoon when I was married at age 23. Well, Sven, why can't you forget that? Just forget it. Well, why would I want to forget it? It was a great we went through Paris and we went through Munich and I got heartburn from a pepper steak and all these memories. Well, Sven, why do you still remember? I don't know, because I have a brain. Okay, so you're saying your husband and you are seven years post-infidelity. My husband is doing all the right things, but can't forget about it. What can I do? You don't want him to forget about it. That's not really what you're asking. You can't get him to get past it emotionally is what I'm certain you're asking. Why? Because... Who gives a shit if he remembers, if there's no emotional charge? He's still, what happened was you breached the trust. You breached the trust. And the breach of trust in a relationship has ripples through everything. And in a way, it's more powerful than love. If I can't trust someone, I can't get close to them. In fact, that's for me, one of my non-negotiables when it comes to friendships, when it comes to love, when it comes to family, when it comes to work relationships, Rob and I work next to each other. He puts in so many fucking hours every week. He makes decisions and I trust his judgment. He makes creative decisions. He does this. We trust each other, all right? 
I couldn't work next to Rob if I didn't trust him. I don't have anybody that would, I would ever take on like as an employee or something, or even a boss that I didn't trust. You broke your husband's trust. And I know you know that. And I'm not saying it to scold you. I'm saying that the ramifications of that just, it takes a really fucking long time. And you wouldn't have mentioned seven years post-infidelity unless inside of you, you're thinking, fuck, it's been seven years. Why can he still not get past it? Because that's the power of the breach of trust. What you didn't tell me is the length of your relationship. I mean, think about this. If you guys had been together 15 years and then you breached the trust by cheating and now it's been seven more years, that means it's only been half as long as you guys were together. That means he gave you 15 years worth of trust. It's only been seven years since. He may never get past that. And here's the other side of it. And this is one of the aspects people don't like to think about when it comes to cheating. And that is, I'm telling you, Patty, clearly you're exhausted by him not getting past the emotional blockage. Yes, he's doing all the right things, but there's some sort of emotional blockage. That's what you're talking about. I fucking guarantee it. And you wouldn't say seven years of this unless you're getting exhausted of it, unless you feel like you've paid your dues, you've done your penance. And the side that people don't, like to think about is simply this, Patty, you don't have to stay. You are free to go at any time. It's a fact. You don't have to put up with his, if you see this as him being a turd, you don't have to put up with his shit. You don't have to put up with him not giving you love or not wanting to touch you or not wanting to be lovey-dovey with you or not wanting to cuddle with you. You don't have to put up with that, leave. But you keep hoping that he's gonna come around. You see the actions, but you're not feeling the feelings. And feelings are fucking important in relationships, especially love relationships. And all you can do is keep putting it out there that I need you to unlock the door and let your feelings out again. Because he's scared, I guarantee it. He may not admit it, but that's what's going on. When somebody hurts us emotionally, especially in a just really the biggest or one of the biggest ways of cheating, shit, they shut down. Why would I want to open up? You might hurt me again. And you can swear up and down, you'll never do it again, but how does he know? You did it the first time. That's the power of cheating people. And I'm not saying that to scold you, Patty. I'm just saying you have the opportunity to walk away. So every single day you are having a come to Jesus moment of, do, is today the day I walk away or do I stay? Do I keep hoping he'll change? But you have to make your needs known as well. And it'd be interesting if he belittles you, does he belittle you when you make your desires known to meet your emotional needs? Or does he say, I'm doing my best? Or, you know, that would be a good follow-up question. But the bottom line is, either your needs are being met in a relationship or they are not. And even if you have cheated, you have every right to walk away. Anybody can walk away from a relationship. Doesn't matter what you've done. You're not obligated to stay, but you're choosing to stay. Every single day that you stay, it's your choice. You gotta keep putting your truth out there. And if he doesn't respond, then at some point you have a decision to make. Will I stay with someone who doesn't wanna be emotionally close to me? And maybe you already feel like such a bad guy for cheating in the first place that you don't wanna look like the bad guy for walking away. But you've gotta ask yourself what your emotional needs are. And all your, all your other needs, your physical needs, your financial needs, your love needs, all of it. And you're weighing it. And those are the scales of justice, right? You're swaying it. What wins out for me? Well, fine people, this has been a, an episode for the ages. I can honestly say I will never forget this episode. Uh, I think we had our world sort of rocked a bit tonight, Rob, in this episode. Just a bit. That was uh, very dramatic early on. Oh, 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 wow. If you are tuning in late to this episode, Go back and listen. Uh, this show, this particular episode will be up um, a lightning round. What do you think, Rob, approximately? This will air uh, May 14th. May 14th. If you missed it, you got to listen to this episode. Oh, gosh. For all of you out there in Nairobi and in uh, Tokyo and down there within the, among the Kiwi, 
and all across Canada. We love all our Canadian friends, our friends in the UK, in France, in Washington, D.C., in Colorado Springs. It's great to have everyone tuning in to another episode of the Lightning Round of the Badass Counseling Show. On behalf of my producers, KC and Rob, thank you so much for tuning in and have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey.